So why don't you make one promise to yourself? Go out and compete. I'm gonna go play golf and try and enjoy this the best I can, and that took the pressure off of me. Which is the destination and the goal the whole time. I just don't know where to go with the driver. I'm taking the freeway. Full send. Let's go. Welcome back aboard the Par Train. Brett, the editor here, back for another monthly recap. Looking back over a very busy October. From the Ryder Cup recap back on October 1st, all the way to Evan Singer himself recapping a month in Scotland. So if your golf game's off the rails and you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you've come to the right place. The Part Train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. The Part Train Podcast brought to you each and every week by Roback Activewear. And if you jump over to Roback.com, right on the homepage, you'll see holiday gift guides. We are jumping into the cold season, the holiday season, and they've got some great fleece quarter zips brand new at roback.com and they are sweet for the guys and the gals you can still enjoy the solid color but there's also a, uh, a really cool design with the roback patch on the left side this one actually says the word roback on it it doesn't have the head of the rhodesian ridgeback so those are great but if you're looking at the gift guides you can get gifts for athletes gifts specific to golfers gifts specific for festivities even gifts for a night out roback.com Get what you like, and then when you're checking out, enter the code TRAIN, and you'll get 15% off. We jump straight into October with two episodes. Episode 269 is our first stop, and like we talked about a second ago, the Ryder Cup recap kicked off the month of October. It's called the European Ryder Cup Formula and how you can use it. Evan and Matt, they put together this episode after the European win in the Ryder Cup, and the boys break down a few areas of the cup itself. They ask the question about differences in Rory McIlroy's game this year compared to what it was in 2021. So we're going to jump straight into it. The Ryder Cup recap from October 1st, episode 269 with Evan and Matt. I wonder how can we play golf more like Rory and Ryder Cups than Rory at the Masters, right? Like it's an entirely different way to play. One feels very tentative the other feels very offensive do you think i'm yeah, onto something yeah i mean i think it's rory's Ryder cup this year right because prior to this yes, he's this just year. been an okay Ryder cup player and as we know tiger just a subpar Ryder cup player too so this is like a really really i mean i'll get we'll get around to this here but but for rory this is this could be big, Ev, because he's kind of done everything there is to do, so to speak. You know, now career grand slam would be the cherry right. on top, but right. He he was the guy. Tiger was never the guy in a Ryder Cup. He was the guy. He's done it right. He's won and he's won the FedEx Cup and he's won the European Tour money and he's won the majors, right? And he's won. So like, you know what what was different about this year? Into your the into your point, like you know, uh, some of this all the stuff going on with Live. You know, he probably talks too much about the, you know, just how did he find a way, the will to be so focused and be like such an amazing leader? Um, so I mean, you know, so what is it, right? And then the last several, you know, well, just generally in majors, he's kind of just not quite been there when you'd expect him to be. You know, I will say this, you know, I, you know, I've played, I was, I played in a team event. It was a Ryder Cup, but it was a one day event and two man scramble. Two man teams, you know, 18 holes. And, 
but it's straight up, right? There's no shots because I have a, you know, member guests, you know, you fight in a bunch. It's harder to compare because you're giving strokes. Like it's really, I find it's really interesting when you're playing straight up against yeah. people two on two is like, it's like this and it can be at any level, right? Two, ten, two, five handicaps going against two, five handicaps, you know, two, you're playing straight up. Um, there's a war mentality. And I, Rory definitely had the war mentality, but when we were playing a couple of weeks ago, me and Kevin, I mean, I'm trying to pump him up. You know, I'm an A player. He's a D player. We're going against a, you know, a, a B plus and a C plus. And we, I'm like, <laughs> we're literally sitting there. I'm like, we're going to murder these guys today. Like these guys have no chance. We're going to get off to a fast start and we're not looking back. You know, you don't really talk like that when you play, <laughs> you know, because you're not, so interested you know in the one guy here one guy there it's you know you're it's like you have this task like when you really play well in team golf you have this task this is what you have to do today you got to go beat these guys in order to do that you got to go beat the golf course you beat these guys you've done your part and the again the war mentality that i think the best players have in team in team golf um it is true though I know that my best golf today is going to win and I don't have to worry about giving shots to somebody. Yeah. When you hear really good players talk. Yeah. um, They do all kind of say something of the nature of, I want to bury everyone I'm playing against. I want to kill them. Right. Like Danny Woodhead, who we had on the show. I know you missed that one. He literally said, I want to kill everybody who I play with. And right. he went from a five to a plus five in five years, right? It's, it's like what's a, fueling your athlete. purpose and your motivation, right. right? But let's talk about match play for a second because um, match play is one of two things. It's either really, really easy to press because the result is in front of you every time. Like it's, it's much more finite than stroke play. Stroke play, yeah, you know the the result in, in regards to the score is in front of you, but you can't see what everybody else is doing on the course. You don't know how things will shape up. You might string together four birdies in a row and you jump up 40 spots, right? Yeah. Um, match play, you know exactly where you're at. You know exactly where your opponent is. And now it's up to you to go hit the shot, right? So really easy to press and be tentative and well, when you say press, let's define press for people because that means different things, right? So yeah. pre- you said press and tentative because yeah. pressing often means being just too, too aggressive, not thinking, right? And then there's, there's you know, and, and, and hit the dumb shot, right? Because I see pull and driver realizing, you know what? If it goes left, I'm, there's, you, you only lose by one on a hole, right? So yeah. there's that way you can easily get over aggressive, but maybe you're getting at, Something else I think it's easy pressing. to get. I think pressing in this case, I would define as getting wrapped up in outcome. So instead of getting into the flow of the of the round, getting into the flow of the match, playing the course, thinking through shots, you get stuck in where is what is he at? What's my opponent at? What or do what, we need here? Or what my partner's doing? What is my partner doing? What do we need here? Do I pop here? Right. Yep. Like we've talked about in the past in member guests, like 
I realized, holy shit, we're talking about where we're at in the match and what we need to win this hole the whole time, right? Where that could help some people, but I think for most, that's not how you play good golf is thinking about where your score is every single shot and what you need to come in. That's exactly what people do when they start quote pressing or trying to achieve a certain result and they get in their own way. It adds tension and all that stuff. So on one hand, I see match play being challenging for a lot of people that are listening because of that. On the other hand, I think match play is the ultimate competition. So you could really lean in being a competitor in match play. Cause to your point, and this is something we've told our buddy, Ryan, who historically has told us he struggled in match play, but he's an amazing stroke play player because he gets too wrapped up in what he needs to do in the moment. But if that guy just competes and hits shots, he's such a good ball striker. He's going to be up in the match in the end, in most matches. Right? So I think it, it's so funny match play seems to be the perfect platform for one of the biggest concepts we end up talking about the most on this show, which is, are you protecting or are you competing, right? Are you playing defense or are you playing offense? And Europe, you could tell Europe were like, those guys were competing, right? The second half of the Ryder Cup, the U.S. started to compete. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean... What do, you, what do you mean by competing? Because I feel like Americans were playing. There's a couple matches they were making birdies, but there's something about Europe that is just performing at this level. And maybe I think it's, it's more of like the mentality. Off, yeah, they're thriving off this. This it's is our the, biggest. It's the fist this is our pumps. biggest event. This is our biggest. Like this is this is it. You know, it's the fist pumps. It's the taunting the crowd. It's the, I. It's the opposite of tentativeness. It's the opposite of. Um, of having of protecting it's 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 being in the biggest moment and saying watch me hit this shot yeah that is a a offensive competitor mentality and something brett mccabe sports psychologist for a few of the players that were playing in the Ryder cup that's been on the show five times he always talked about like you're not going to hit every shot great and you might have your c game so why don't you prom- make one promise to yourself? Go out and compete. No matter how hard it is, you compete against yourself. You compete against the course. And it's I think it's just more of like this like fighter mentality. The people who fight the longest usually win the Ryder Cup. Because one thing we haven't talked about, you know how grueling that must be, sir? I find member guest matches of nine holes five and two days being grueling. These guys are playing now. Obviously, not everybody plays both, you know, all five rounds, but 36 a day of grueling matches. Yeah. But it's got to be draining. It takes a toll. Well, mentally, right? I mean, physically, sure, a little bit, but mentally, for sure. Um, Yeah. You know, it's, I I think what uh, a takeaway from match play that you could, you know, bring into, stroke play is oftentimes in a team match, you know, let's say you won the first two holes, right. And then you lost, the, you lost the third hole. Other team makes a birdie putt, like a good putt. What do you do? You look at you, you look at your partner and say, eh, all right, shrug it off. Right. 
Like they made a great putt. What can you do? Or, you know, you get on a hole and you just you hit your first bad drive and you lost the hole. Eh, it's all right. Bad drive. It's like not affected on to the next, I'm not change. I, I know what my plan is and stroke play. Sometimes, you know, we're, you know, you're looking at the big picture and the big score and you come off a double bogey or maybe your first, you know, swing to the left, you know, you pull one to the left into the water, you get to that next hole. And it's like, Oh, am I okay? Is my, where did that come from? Do I need to start adjusting my plan for the day, adjusting my ball striking patterns, you know? Um, and the answer is no. I mean, to the, to, in general, no. Right. Where, and I think in a match play, you just kind of let it go. And then you're on to the next and you're just back. Let's go win this hole. You know, let's go. Um, and I think that's just, and I think the key there is for everybody listening is just, that's how you stay, you're staying present, right? All right. New hole. Next shot. What are we hitting off the tee? Lost the hole. Who cares? It's gone. Yeah. You know, I didn't lose 10. I didn't lose five strokes. We, we were two down. We're two up. Now we're one up. And I, and I think in stroke play, we just get really, really, you know, focused on score and bad shots get us down quicker. What do you think? Well, it's a great point because I outlined the challenges of match play, right? But the beauty of match play, to your point, is it doesn't matter if you make an eight. It doesn't matter if you hit two in the water. You move on to the next hole. It's a it's wiped clean. And right? shouldn't so, that, that be the mentality in golf? Why does it matter? Right. Why does it matter if you hit it left? Why does it matter if you hit it right? You know what shot you got to hit. Right. Do it to the best of your abilities. Right. Again. Right. It's, it's just it's just you try. We're trying to sum this up, but it's not it's not that simple. But it's it's a it's it's two generally two different mentalities. So are you saying? What if, are you saying that most people listening would benefit by having a match play mentality when playing stroke play? I do. I think it's, yeah, you gotta, if you can find ways to play it, you know, in your, your local club or in a league or with your buddies, absolutely. That was from episode 269. It dropped back on October 1st. And also on October 1st was episode 270, but that was an LFG episode. You can go back and get a few tips and tricks from some great episodes, and they'll help you think like a PGA Tour pro. So we're moving on to October 8th with episode 271, the weight of tournament pressure and how to overcome it. This episode featured best-selling author John Sherman. He wrote The Four Foundations of Golf, and he was back for his third ride on the train. And you'll learn quick in this episode that he had just played in his first U.S. Mid-Am. He'll be discussing a whole new level of pressure that he experienced going into that. October 8th, episode 271 with John Sherman. We've talked about handicaps as a way to separate players, but handicap at a home course versus handicap in tournaments and then handicap and just per overall performance, forget the handicap in big tournaments. Yep. I think if I was going to try and articulate what you just said and whittle it down, I think there's a level of taking the punches kind of plodding along as tiger has said so many times, regardless of what happens. And they just kind of seem to make, 
I guess what I'm trying to ask you, John, is a 12 handicap listening to this may not relate to that guy who made it through the match play because he's like, well, I don't have the shots, let alone doing it under pressure. What do you think that guy had that the 12 handicap can take? I guess that's the right way to ask it. I think we just need relevant levels of experience at whatever golf we're looking to play. So Mm. I, I find a lot of golfers who reach out to me and maybe it's not the 12 handicap. Maybe it's a little bit better of a player. Like, Oh, I'm playing in my first qualifier or first, this or first club championship. What do I do? What do I do differently? And my answer is like, well, nothing. You just experience it because there's a, like, as I'm telling you all, like there is a difference in what you feel how excited you get, how down you get on yourself, all these things when the pressure increases. And for a 12 handicap, that could be playing with strangers. That could be playing, you know, for a $5 NASA with someone you've never met before. So like everyone has different levels of pressure that when they apply to their game, it makes them uncomfortable and strange things start happening. I think experience is so, so important. And more importantly, when you do add these layers of pressure, do you have the right mindset? And what I mean by that is I could have played in that tournament and gone home with my tail between my legs, like being really down on myself, being like, you know what? I blew it. I sucked. I choked. You know, maybe that now damages the rest of my game and other tournaments. But I think I came there to learn, to test myself and to forgive myself for what occurred on Sunday, because again, that was new for me. So I think, you know, what I see in players like that is that I know that guy has failed and embarrassed himself in tournaments before and some big, it's happened to everyone. He's clearly learned from those experiences so that when the pressure came up again, you know, he's okay making a double bogey on the 14th hole and then, and then keeping it together, coming down the stretch. Let's say that was the first time that ever happened to him. He might've folded two and ended up at 10 over par, but he didn't. And again, you know, nothing's guaranteed. Like on another day, he could have folded two. just that day. He made it happen. But yeah, experience is so important in this game. More importantly, like paying attention and, and making sure that you are absorbing the right feedback and reviewing this stuff after the rounds and trying to learn from it rather than feeling like, Oh, I sucked. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. You know, that, that no learning occurs when you put pressure on yourself and that's your reaction. Um, John, I think that's dead on about experience. I just want to ask a little more from a tactical perspective, what you learned playing golf in the rain in tournaments is just difficult. And a lot of people can't relate to it because your goal as a player, as a golfer, no matter where you're playing is to have a good routine and stay in your routine. Well, your routine really gets challenged, right? In a rain delay, what exactly you're doing to stay loose, to stay relaxed, make sure you're eating, drinking Gatorade, you know, you might not get a chance to warm up and then being on the golf course in a downpour, how that's a whole other side of a routine. So many checkpoints that most people don't yep. understand. And I, I would say to listeners, go play golf in a downpour and learn everything it takes to just attempt to stay dry and focused. Yeah. It's, talk, it's talk about that, but I think there's, there, there's great learnings there, but it's, I, it's I not wish, fun. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought, uh, I know Evans in Scotland right now. I went in May and I thought that was going to be my experience there. And I got lucky. I didn't get any rain. So I wish, in retrospect, I wish it poured on me more. But in playing Scotland, in the rain for been. fun 
Yeah, versus it's different. playing in the rain. It's hard. Yeah, but you, you just can learn a lot though. It's also yeah, different I mean, when it's like warm and rain versus being yeah, cold, cold with when, rain. Yeah. I hate the hot rain. rain. You, the hot yeah. rain's tough because you can't get the layers right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it, <laughs> again, I think this was a double whammy for me because I don't have much experience competing in the rain, and I don't have much. Ex- I had no experience competing in a national championship, so a lot of it was just like, "Wow, here we go." Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Like on the first hole, it's sleepy. I actually hit it. I hit an okay drive in the rough and I got a good lie and I hit it to like 30 or 40 feet. And I hit, my... <laughs> it's kind of funny to think back. I hit the butt 20 feet by the hole. Yeah. <laughs> like I was just like, I looked at my caddy. I'm like, what was what that? The... <laughs> like, I, I don't, I like, I did, I just don't know what happened. And I'm like, all right, there's a bogey that probably shouldn't have happened. And the wind kept shifting. Like it was, a very confusing four holes. What did you it teach to... you about just your patience level preparation? Yeah, I mean, it's so the, for next the time. That, the thing I take away from that is like, I think when you increase the difficulty level so high and the pressure level so high, and you're willing to put yourself in that moment and be open to the embarrassment and the potential things that can happen, everything after that will seem easier. And going through this experience of writing about has actually like kind of inspired me to write another book on competitive golf, but not at the high level, just like in every golfer guide to competition. And and one of the things I started writing about it is that, you know, when you do put yourself in these uncomfortable and difficult situations, um, it'll make everything else in golf after that feel easier. So for example, I had my club championship the weekend after that didn't feel like much pressure to me. I just got my ass kicked. I just got my ass kicked in the pouring rain and six inch wet rough at a USGA national championship, like club championship. That's not nerve wracking to me now. I'll still feel some nerves. It's my peers and stuff like that. Or when I go play in my local, you know, events now, I can use that as a, as a badge of honor. Like I got through that somehow. I didn't play my best, but I got through it. I can make, you know, regular golf, not feel as hard anymore. So that's one thing that I will, you know, I wish I'd played better through it. Like I wish I had, you know, I could, you always can go back. And like, when I made that double on the third hole at sleepy, I'm like, I didn't know the gust of wind was going to come from the right and blow it just long. Like it just happened. You know, it was a, we thought we had the right club, but the wind was like swirling around. It's pouring rain on us. And like, you're just hoping you picked the right club. And I didn't, you know, we, we picked wrong. It happens, but that that's, you know, Again, nothing will seem as hard as that from now on, which I think is great. John, let me ask you about pressing for a second. We haven't talked about it this way, sir, but I've actually noticed recently in some of my rounds I've played here in Scotland. I did this yesterday on the old course for a little bit. Pressing can be very minute. It can feel like it's a little bit of a wind that passes you and you barely even know that it's there. It's just kind of like this under the surface innate feeling of, all right, I just want to like get it on the green, or I just want to like make a par. I just want to like settle in. I just want to like hit my first fairway. Right. But when we talk to every guest we've ever talked to, and when we've reflected on any great round we've ever had ourselves, that doesn't exist. You get really focused on, the task at hand, you get kind of into a flow state. You take what's given to you. You make the best decision. 
you go and you just keep doing that. And then you pick up your head and you had this great round, kind of like the stretch you described on that yeah. first day. Yep. So That's exactly I guess the question is, did you notice any of that pressing? And how oh, do yeah. you start to reverse that silent feeling of the press? How do you get back into the task at hand? Because I think what everybody is wondering, because I'm still wondering, is people can't relate to, not everyone can relate to, you know, I have the game, but I just got the bad draw. Or I knew what to hit this shot, but the gust blew a little differently than we thought. That's all understandable, right? I guess the question is, when they speed up, when mistakes start compounding, when you start to press and you can't get out of it, what do you think are the keys for the average player there to well, reverse the any, trend? I think any player. Any player. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you just have to give in. So I think on that stretch on the second day, I was pressing and my main motivation was don't embarrass yourself. And that's not a great way to play golf. And eventually I just somehow got out of that. You know, I just kind of was just like, Ugh. like just, I'm just going to go play. We're just trying to enjoy myself for the rest of this time. I, I, I was able to pull myself out of that downward spiral and just be like, you know what? Like, this is still like in my head, I'm like, you got to stop yourself because I don't know how many times you're ever going to get to play Sleepy Hollow again in your life, which is one of the best courses in the world. I don't know if you're ever going to play in this championship again. So part of me was had to pull myself out and say enough with this, you know, ego thing of, of trying to protect your score and what people think of you, because obviously no one really cares. Like, it's not like people are rooting against me and even if they're rooting for me, like they understood. So yeah, a lot of it for me is just was pulling myself out of that and just being like, I'm going to go play golf and try and enjoy this the best I can. And that took the pressure off of me. You can find John Sherman online at Practical Golf. Also dropping on October 8th was episode 272. That was the September recap, which means we're now moving on to October 15th, number 273. Very cool episode with a very special guest from the show, Entourage, Jerry Ferrara. Evan was on me when he was asking me about this episode. I forget exactly what he asked me, but I had said that I had never seen the show. I've never seen a single minute of it, only have ever heard of it. So a little late to the game, apparently. My wife and I have been really making our way through Yellowstone, so maybe Entourage is next. Anyway, Jerry aboard the train. He's unpacking his game and figuring out how to eliminate some of his weaknesses. And if that sounds familiar to you, then this is definitely the episode you want to listen to from October 15th, episode number 273 with Jerry Ferrara. I actually don't think it'd be that hard for you to get to a single digit handicap. Uh, look, I, I I understand that logic. And, and again, it's you're right. And it's things I've I've literally set reminders to pop up in my phone like hit the fade if you see if you know when you see the shadow try to just hit your fade and even if you do pull a little bit your miss is not as bad but when that one snap hook comes out i just get so pissed because look you could play a i could play a miss right if i block it a little bit right as long as there's no crazy hazards it's still out there 220 230 you could still make a number but those snap hooks, it just could go anywhere. It could be anywhere. It could be on other fairways. It could be behind a rock. It could be anywhere. And it just, it drives me absolutely wild. Well, which you can't play golf that way. Right. I, I mean, we've all struggled with the driver big time. Everybody does. Do you, after that snap hook, do you ever, you see maybe another one, do you pull out a three wood? 
or do you just continue with the driver? Because I think what Ev was trying to get at, and I guess I'll put a bow on that is how do you, how do you figure out the stressful situations, right? Like, and make the right decision. And I'm just, just curious how you kind of try to get through it. Uh, There's a stubbornness to me that also, if I hit the snap hook, I'll, I'll stick with driver. And then also I'm, I'm, I'd love your guys take on this too. Cause one thing I think mentally I've done good with well with is like, look, I'm not a big guy. I'm five, seven in shoes. I don't have a ton of swing speed. My best pop. If I absolutely nut the ball and baby draw two seventy. if I get everything I have. So, and you know, I play with some guys that have been playing for a long time and the long hairs. I've gotten really good with not even looking at their drives. That's like, great. It's just territory. I'm not, I don't swim in those waters. Okay. So I've gotten really good about, about that part of it. But the, after the snap hook to then get on the next tee box, you know, I hit my three wood. If I absolutely crush it, it's like 220, 225. I'm, and I'm, I'm just looking at it like you're now you're really giving up a lot of distance for sure. But you know, like it's, it's definitely easier to control and takes the big miss out. And that's something I probably need to, to just, Except like similarly how I accepted that don't look at the long hitters shots. Don't worry if you're still, if you hit the three when you're still 200 out, make your five and get out of there until you get your rhythm back. Yeah. I think it's a total blend Ev, because like, I mean, Jerry, when I see the, I hit it left, I, the flashing sirens <laughs> go on in my head too. Yeah. Like it's, I just cannot, I hate it so much, but <laughs> if I actually stop and think about in between shots or it's like, that was just a mental breakdown. I was trying to hit a draw when I'm a fader like you, or I just stepped on it or I, something happened on the last hole that I'm, I carried over with, but so it's like getting back to like, okay, doesn't mean you should put the driver away, but it was a mental breakdown. Focus yeah. on your routine, focus on the next hole. Cause it has nothing to do with the previous shot, but also on some of the shorter par fours, maybe later in the round, that's an opportunity to mix in the hybrid or the three wood just yeah. because they're usually tighter holes and you maybe don't have the control that day. So that that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. I, I And I could do it. Like I said, I know I've done it before with separating myself. I, I played with a guy last week who, I mean, it was in a three thirty. It just was like a crazy ball flight. I didn't even look at him. He probably thought I was a dick. I was barely talking to him. Not cause he's not, he's a wonderful guy. I just, I, right. I don't want to root for you and watch your shit. Cause it's going to make me want to do something I physically cannot do. And I need to implement that with these other parts that we're talking about. But an eight seems still like I'm years away, but I, I trust you guys. <laughs> You'd be shocked by how many yeah. people can go down with just one change. Um, let me ask you this, Jerry. You seem to be good around the greens. What do you think is the biggest difference in your uh, approach? Like walk me through what's in your head. What do you look at? What do you think about? What's your approach? What are you focused on when you've got a a 30-yard pick shot around the green versus what do you think about? What do you focus on? What do you do on the tee box? Let's see if there's any differences there. This will be a good exercise for the listeners to think about too. So for me, um, I'm a I'm a very confident putter. I feel like if I get inside eight feet, I'm making it. And look, I don't, I don't make most eight footers, you know, but I, I, I but just, you got that I feeling. A, I have that feeling. I, I want to, even if I miss it, look, if you 30, 30 yard little pitch chip shot, eight feet for really good players is not, a, is not a great result for me. That's not a terrible result. You know, usually locks in par or bogey, 
uh, if it's not a disaster hole. And I just feel like I'm going to make putt. So I focus on like, you know, just get it with less than 10 feet and you're going to make the putt. And I genuinely believe it. And I just have so much confidence. And this way, if you miss it 12 feet, you're not walking up like, oh, what a terrible, you idiot. It's a dumb shot. It's like, okay, it's a little longer than I needed, but maybe we make it because I'm such a confident putter. And three putts to talk about the mental part. I do uh, check out the next hole if I if I do miss a dumb four-footer or just a terrible three-putt. I do. The next hole is almost like it's a double bogey. Right. Mm. You know, if I take, I got something for you, Jerry. So you're really, you've got a really good, you know, would you consider a really good short game? You're a great pitcher because you know, you're a good, confident putter, right? Yes. So, so that it, it, it kind of goes back. It almost goes backwards for you. So it's like, if you're off the tee, okay. And, you, and you, you hit one of the trees, like y'all do. Not only am I, do I like to be a hero from the trees, but you can just say to yourself, I'm the smartest, most efficient guy from the trees. So you're going, cause you're going to miss fairways. It just happens. We all do most of the, it's a lot of the day, but it's like, okay. So if I do go there, I know that I'm going to make the smartest decision compared to anybody else out here. Yeah. Right. And I'm going to get out. So it's just like, how can you kind of go backwards that way? Because we're just going to miss fairways. It's just, well, if I, if I take it even you know? further backward, um, look, if I have an eight iron in my hands or less, give me eight, nine pitch or any wedge. I could live with that. I really do feel like it's going to be on the green. It might not be tight, but I'll, and I'll have a putter in my, it's really in seven iron, even it's really when I get down to six, five, I don't even carry a four anymore and hybrid and woods. Cause similar to the driver driver. And I'm sure a lot of high or mid handicap struggle with this. I just don't have. So if I hit that bad snap hook and then I'm like, all right, I got 180. I mean, theoretically I could get the five iron there or a hybrid there. It's risky. I compound the error as opposed to saying, you know what? Punch a seven out, leave yourself 90 or whatever. And you know what that you'll and you're be great from hundred in. Yeah. Yes. But I, so I, I get, just, but it's hard to do that. Yeah. I yeah. want to still try to get the birdie or here's, you know, a, here's a crazy, here's, here's yeah. a crazy stat for you, Jerry. This blew our minds when we heard it. Uh, we had Lou Stagner. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 80% of tour pros, tour pros that hit it in the trees, make bogey on average over 80%. Wow. And I think we've all had those moments where we've hit the miracle shot and we still try and make par. And Sermon and I have talked about on the show how even the mindset, it might feel counterintuitive because you're like, why wouldn't I try and make par? Like, why am I settling? Right. But actually the mindset of trying to make bogey makes you more conservative. And that would be a really interesting. And it could lead to more par chances because you yeah, hit, you get out, you knock it on, you have at least a putt. So it's yeah, a hundred percent. And and the other thing I gotta get better with, and I guess this is more—it's not mental, but it's just golf awareness—is it don't really matter what my lie is. I think I can make the shot. <laughs> Sometimes, like if you snap it sure. left, it's like okay, yeah, you even you only have one fifty still. Maybe it's a short hole, but in my mind, I'm like, ah, oh, that lie's not that bad, and. It, friends of mine are like, why are you even trying to go for the green out of that lie? That's so <laughs> dumb. And I still yeah. like full send. Let's go. So let me go back to the putting green for one second. Yes. And we've got a bunch of entourage stuff to get to too. But I think this is important because I want this to be as beneficial and fun for you as it is our listeners. Yeah, who are I'm thinking playing about tomorrow. This for their game. So whatever, whatever you guys tell me is coming yeah. with me tomorrow. Implementing so, it. So we know you 
clearly there's more confidence in an area where you have better outcomes in the past than previously. We can't just tell ourselves, feel as confident as you are on the greens on the tee box because that doesn't feel real, right? But we might be able to find some behaviors that you do on the putting green that might help you that has led to good results, which has bred the confidence. So I know you stand up to an eight footer and you think I can make this, which is awesome. Can you think about what your routine is? Like, what do you do when you, when you step into a putt, walk us through, do you read a putt? Do you go down? Do you look at it both ways? Do you take practice strokes? Like walk us through what you do on the putting green. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm still in a good mental place, which is, this is probably a part I need to work on. Yeah. I will look at it from both sides because both sides tell a different story usually. Uh, but where I falter is when I'm, when I have those two or three bad holes in a row and I'm off rhythm, it's like, I'm only looking from one side cause I'm just pissed. So I need to work on sticking with the same routine, but typically on the greens, Yes. I will, you know, clean the ball off a little bit. I will look from both sides, get my, get my read. And then I'm really just, it stuck with me. Like Earl Woods always telling Tiger of like, paint the picture in your mind of putt the, to the line picture. and the putt, yeah. paint the picture. Mm. So I, 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 that's what I kind of will do. And, it, but I don't paint a picture. I use the video game in my mind, video game, you know, Tiger Woods, PJ, oh, the little things those, going yeah, down. They, yeah, I just try to find those little lines, like where the slope is or whatever, and just see the putt and uh, and lock it in and go. Yeah, and like I said, my in my mind, when I'm making that stroke, it's like this is going to go in or really flirt with going in. That's always been my thoughts. At Jerry Ferrara online, such a cool episode. It's called Fight the Blow-Up Hole Blues with Entourage's Jerry Ferrara. We're going to move on. We have a couple of more episodes to go from the month of October, one being with Sean Foley, and then the final show in October was recapping Evan's month of Scotland golf, which is definitely spilled over as a topic into November. Lots of great stuff to get to. I'm sure you've listened. If you haven't, you need to start with episode 274 when Evan kind of starts the story of his time in Scotland. And there's other bits and pieces that are inside of episodes that have already dropped here in November. And they're just incredible. Even an episode with his wife making her par train debut. Can't wait to go back through and pick out a good key point for when we do this in December. So uh, all, all good stuff. But first, we need to talk a little bit about our friends at Whoop. You see, Whoop is a band that you wear on your wrist and it gives you all sorts of uh, body analytics that you can study and keep track of and make improvements where you need to. Last month, I was really talking about how my sleep schedule is just a train wreck, no pun intended, but it's like... Me thinking back to high school and early days in college when I would go to sleep at 2 o'clock in the morning, up at 7.30, getting ready to go to class. Didn't have a whoop band back then, but if I did, it would have probably had smoke rolling off of it at some point. Now, I thought I got better. I really did. You know, when I got older, when I got into my mid-20s, I started to realize, all right, time to chill out a little bit. Let's go to bed earlier. Let's get up. And now that I'm in my 30s, everything from back in college has caught up to me. And despite the fact that I sleep better, there are other parts of my day and my life that I really wouldn't have known are a little off had it not been for my whoop band. Like for instance, stress. I didn't have a lot of stress growing up, but when I started a business, when I had a child, when I got married, not in that order, I started to get different feelings. And that whoop band definitely backs me up a little bit and confirms when my stress is high. 
It's on a zero to three scale, which I have peaked several times during my day or driving on the West Virginia Turnpike in the rain on the way to vacation. I was really peaking then and then calmed down a little bit later. But the Whoop app inside of your phone, it will tell you and give you tips on how to dial that stress back. You can fill out a journal to talk about how much caffeine or alcohol you have, even how much screen time you have before you go to bed. And the powers that be aboard the PAR train, Evan and Matt, they have a really good deal for you. One month free trial, no questions asked. And that means that you can try Whoop for free for an entire month. And if you decide that you don't like it, you can send it back absolutely free. No purchase up front. Get online, go to join.whoop.com slash partrain. You can get a free Whoop for a month. Now we'll get back into the recap and we are moving on to episode number 274 which can help you become passionate over the mundane. Evan and Matt had a special guest on this one. Sean Foley is an important man right there. He's one of the best golf coaches in the world. Has Tiger Woods on his resume, by the way. Back on the train for the third time. And the word mundane does come up a lot in this episode, which to me in my brain, it relates back to a few other key points that have been made on the par train over the past several years. The middle of the green never moves that type of stuff, aggressively conservative, that type of thing kind of goes with the mundane, all right? If you can find passion in that, you're going to notice those golf stats moving up. And having said that, hopefully you'll also see your score come down. So we're going to jump into this episode number 274 with Sean Foley. When it comes down to course management, always do what you know you can do, right? Mm -hmm. Don't necessarily do what you're working on and never do what you can't do. And so when you're standing there at 150 and you just got to get it on the green and you go for that little knockdown shot, um, that that's fine, but you're going to get to a certain point where that club doesn't have enough loft where that shot goes off very well. Right. So you just can't, you can't, how many courses can you hit a low forearm into where you're going to be decent? So if I was going to say right now, I would put a focus on one, getting professionally fit for a driver, like a, a really good fitting pro, okay? Um, I can almost guarantee you that very few amateurs are using the right driver, okay? Um, Trotty told me that when I did a ball fitting with Trotty in San Diego, and that was one of the first things he said to me. He saw my high spinny right shot, and he goes, dude, you're hitting a 10.5 Sim 2 Max? This is arguably TaylorMade's biggest spinniest driver and you should be hitting something, creating as least amount of spin as possible. Yeah. And, so, it should be, that, and it should be turned lower, not higher. But that, So this is it, though, right? Well, obviously, if you have more loft, you're going to have more spin, right? So yeah. that that's the whole thing. You know, Trotty is, like, legit at his job. So I'm not saying you go into – I'm not saying you go into PGA Superstore and get that fitting – Trotty's like been there, done it, made a billion mistakes. He, 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 at this point, he might not know exactly what's right, but he totally know what's, he totally knows what's wrong. And that, yeah. that's a very important place to play life from. Right. Cause sure. what, what's right for you, Evan, will come through exploration and experimentation. But if we can avoid what's, what's wrong with you. So I would, one, I would do that. And then two, when I had time to go practice, I know I can hit the low knockdown shot. So getting used to being able to hit it up in the air, just hitting it high. And yeah. then because, you're, because your short game is one of your strengths on and around the green, you know, make sure you make that 50% of your practice because 
based on the other things, you can't lose that and compete. So to me, you know, making it to where, you know, when you're on the range, it's not giving it a perfect lie all the time. That's the problem with being on the range is we're normally going to have a decent lie. And then we get on the course and, you know, it's sitting, it could be in the fairway, but still sitting down a little bit. And we try to approach the shot like we do when it's in a good lie. And we're kind of behind the eight ball before we start. Right. So knowing, knowing what the shot is asking of you is, is, is really, really important. Um, and then maybe off the tee, creating kind of a go-to tee shot that when it doesn't feel good, you know, Tiger used to aim left and use the whole fairway. He called it that crop duster, right? Slider cut. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know that he didn't want to do that because he knew it wasn't going to go as far, it, but, but, you know, he knew he didn't have it. And the reason that he was a goat was that he didn't continue to keep hitting shots thinking he had it. He just knew he didn't. And he knew that he just had to survive that day. Um, and that's probably, you know, once again, adaptation is about survival of the fittest. And I think that we can say that he's the ultimate apex who ever played the game. You know what this reminds me of? Totally. This is, a, I just heard a quote from Brett McCabe, um, sports psychologist, obviously, for John Rahm and a few of the uh, Ryder Cup guys, actually. And he said, he was asked, how do you help guys deal with like the biggest pressure moments? And he said, if you can get locked into the easiest thing that you can do in the most aggressive way that you can do it, that's a great formula, right? Like what comes easiest to me and I can do it the most aggressive, which is so in line with what we've heard so many times in the show, which is swing aggressive to conservative targets. But that is specifically with what you do, which I think is kind of what you're saying, Sean. It's like, yeah. find something that you know you can do and yeah, that, do it that, hard. But that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, that like if we, if we look at Dustin Johnson from when he first came on tour till now, it took him a decade to learn to hit the proper cut. So when, when he came out, he hit a big push draw. That makes me and feel so, better, actually, for because oh, I just started oh. trying to hit a cut, and it hasn't been easy. So that makes me feel better, Sean. But, <laughs> I mean, it, the thing is, for him, though, it was because he hits it so far, it was potentially a better better idea for him. Right. Um, but there's so many players who see that. They see John Rahm, and they see Scotty Scheffler, and they're all fading the ball. But, I mean, if you ask me, you know, looking at those guys, that ball starts right of where they're aimed anyways. They're still coming from the inside. It's just that the face is slightly more open than the path is to the right. They're not not really cutting across it, right? Like, I hate the word cut. Cut's a terrible word. Like, like when someone wants to hit the ball far, they go, oh, I'm going to swing harder. Hard is not a word that is equi- that that is assimilated with speed. Fast. I'm going to swing fast. Swinging hard, like, it's a hard day, was a hard climb. Hard's not the right word at, at all. And I don't like the word cut. When I, if you, if you say to anyone who doesn't play golf, um, cut it, they're going to go and look for scissors or a knife. <laughs> so that's like a cut, like a violent, like you're cutting it. So to me, I like the idea of the ball, like I'm hitting a shot that's going to fall right or fall left that Ble- may fade, bleed off may- the tree. Like yeah, or or may draw. So language is language is really massive, right? Like language is is really really important because the the brain often is 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 
getting its reference from the noun and the describing adjective. So, you know, that, that how it's not what you say, it, it, it's kind of how you say it, but it's also what you say. So the amount of times I've seen guys pull a shot because they were trying to hit it too hard. Um, whereas a lot of times when they get to like really high ball speeds on the course, they weren't really trying to do that. They were just in a good place. And they felt good about what they were doing. And their brain said the the governor, the fear is gone. So just go ahead and, you know, we're, we're pretty, human beings are pretty amazing. You know, we, we're, we're much more amazing than we give ourselves credit for. So I think that's how I would look at it. Like, okay, driving the ball better would be a massive advantage. So one, let's look at what you're using first, right? Two, your short game is strong. So make sure you practice that 50% of the time. And three, if you want to swing it better uh, and overall hit it better, practicing for 30 minutes a day in a fairway bunker, as frustrating as it will be, is really important. And frustration is frustration is 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 definitely um, it's okay when you're learning something to be frustrated. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, the frustration should be momentary. It shouldn't last on the car ride home and then as you sit on the couch that night. But there's nothing wrong with. I'm not patient with myself, but I'm patient with everyone around me is because it's okay to be impatient. I demand a lot of myself and I know what I'm capable of. So there's no, there's no better feeling than hitting a good fairway bunker shot. I mean, I think it could be the best feeling. I know you like a three wood off a deck of, you know, into a par five, but <laughs> fairway yeah, bunker I mean, shot is so difficult, you know, to repeat. I think what you're saying, yeah, Sean, well, that's where you really train yourself. That, I mean, you know, that's, that, that's, that's kind of it. You know, when they go through, when they go through, through Sears school and they drop these guys off in the middle of nowhere and give them a process of, they need to be at a certain point at a certain time. Um, they do that knowing that is potentially going to happen. And so you need to know what to do. So no one ever practices in the fairway bunker is because they don't potentially think they're going to hit it in the fairway bunker. Like, so Really, you know, to me, you know, if you wanted to climb Mount Everest, you, you're never going to know what it's like to get there. But you could start with making sure that you work on having strong legs. You can make sure that, you know, you're climbing things and then you can even get on to a stair climber that's in a room that they can make the elevation to 15,000 feet. So your your brain starts to get used to how to maximize oxygen red blood cells, white blood cells. And then when you get there, you can hire a great Sherpa who's got experience and then make sure you have the best gear. After that, yeah. all you can, after that, the only way to climb it is to put one foot in front of the other. You have no control of the weather. You have no control of the snow conditions. After you've done everything you can do, all you can do is put one foot, one foot in front of the other. And yeah. realize that on the climb up that mountain, the place where you're going to learn the least amount about yourself is the summit, which is the destination and the goal the whole time. Sean Foley at Sean Foley Performance online. Check him out and go back and check out episode number 274 and learn how to become passionate about the mundane. One more episode to get to, which rounded out the month of October. It was number 275, a chipping away episode. Just Evan and Matt on this one. If you haven't been with the par train for a while, or if you're brand new, you may not know that Evan just spent a month in Scotland. Played a ton of golf while he was over there, had a great time. Definitely learned a few things about the game of golf, about himself, 
and he he's been expressing that in these last few episodes as we jump into November. And even had Tara, his wife, on the show early in November to recap a little bit more of that. And man, it was good. That was her first time on the train. But uh, the we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Episode 275 from October 29th. Evan and Matt chipping away episode. The alarmingly simple aha moments after playing in Scotland for a month. You said you were hitting the three wood pretty good going into the trip. Did you hit a lot of three woods? Was there moments where you're like, I just don't know where to go with the driver. I'm taking the three wood. Did you? So or- that was another big learning for me was I think for the longest time I saw the driver as my big mental hurdle, my big challenge. And I wanted the practice for this show and and my own growth to be able to stare down a hole that calls for it and be able to do it. Right. But what I've also learned is remember that thing we learned from Matt Kuchar through Scott Langley. Do you remember that lesson where he just aims to the middle? Four or five holes. Yeah. Yeah. He hits the club he's comfortable with. Um, and he doesn't start like playing aggressive until he understands where his game's at in competition after like four or five holes. I actually learned, I started to do this more. This was one of the bright spots. I'm glad you brought this up. Starting the round off with a three wood is actually a really great strategy for me because it, I have more confidence with it. It's a lower ball flight, so it's not going to get caught up in 40 mile per hour winds. Cause by the way, St. Andrews um, stocky joked to me, he goes, you're not going to like this wind. If you hit it left to right, because we've got a 30 mile per hour crosswind for the whole entire front nine left to right. Um, and that <laughs> is not easy when you already hit a high right shot. Sure. So I said, okay, I'm going to start off St. Andrews hitting three woods and I got around. Okay. Doing that. And then oh. once I started to get loose, and so, and the wind changed a little bit and I started to feel more comfortable, then I could start to rip the driver more. Right. So I think that's actually a great lesson that I learned Yep, is ease in to your rounds. You're not, you're not. Well, it, it's a great lesson in general, but when you're in the, the unpredictable across the world conditions that we, we've discussed today, give yourself some it's familiarity more important than ever. And yeah. as you would say, the ball runs out there, you get that thing going can hit three woods as far as drivers. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but it's especially cause it's lower. So it might, it's not going to get, it's not like my driver's going very far there anyways. Oh yeah. I mean, way less spin, you know? Yeah. And using the ground, which is what you're right. supposed to do. So it sounds yeah. like, okay. So you did turn to the three wood a little bit at the same time, you know, looking for the right shot, trying to hit the driver, you know, it's an opportunity to do it. Um, but it sounds like just, Next time you go back, there's going to be, you're going to understand what it's like, what it's like to be on a tee box in Scotland, you know, on a, on a blind windy, blind shot, windy day guy says this, you're going to have Evan's plan as opposed to maybe dissecting what everybody was saying so much. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing I'll say about wind, Tara kind of said this to me, um, which I thought was funny and it's so true. It's, it's the definition of disorienting is wind. Um, because <clears throat> you can't hear people, you kind of get this like buzzing in your ears and your head that if you're just in that kind of wind for four or five hours, um, it can really just 
it's a lot. It can really drain you. It's really exhausting. You know, you can, it kind of calls for a solid shot. You want to swing light, right? But the body wants to muscle it. Um, and then the funny thing about having a calm day, I had one calmer day, at least for one nine, was at Cruden Bay. I started, it was sunny, no wind. And then it's easy to fall into a mental trap there too of like, well, this is my chance, right? This is my chance to have calm conditions. And I think all of it comes back to just attachment to outcome. Yeah. Thinking that anything changes about my experience. If I tell people I shot a 75 somewhere like, yeah, that'd be cool to tell people that I finally figured it out. I had my aha moment, but that's not what golf is. You have an aha moment. And then a week later, you trying to figure something else out. So I think that was an, yeah, another good takeaway of like, you just got to take it in. You have to accept everything that gets presented to you. You have to embrace the challenge. Um, and you got to try and find something. You have to find clarity in as many places as you can. You have to find clarity with the type of shots you're going to hit. You have to have clarity with a certain fairway finder you have to have. You have to have clarity with the shots you're going to play around the green. You have to have clarity with the type of swings you're going to play, the clubs, some distances. You have to have clarity on what direction you're going. I had zero clarity and for nine rounds. Yeah. And it was a really great crash course on just playing without commitment. And that's the opposite of how you play good golf. So I hope a lot of people can learn um, yeah. from this experience. Cause to me, it's so eye opening. It's so eye opening. I'm probably going to play golf differently when I come home. Well, I, I think, yeah. I mean, I think f- what I would say from playing in bad conditions recently, and then obviously my whole life, you got to find a way you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be okay. When you just say to yourself, what's the easiest shot here? You cannot be trying to hit great shots. Now you might say that for golf in general, but like, there's just, not, like there's, just so much, there's just not opportunity for it. And I was playing recently in a, <laughs> in a rainstorm and 30 mile power winds, whatever. And like the par th- the par threes be 180 yards and I got in trouble when I'd say, and I'm really focused on trying to hit this, trying to hit this green. And I, that's when, you know, you pull it a little bit and then the wind takes it and you're 20 yards left to the green, make double when the, the, the great, the good holes were, I'm just going to try to run this up. I'm just going to try to right. leave the, leave this short. The, but you the, know what so else, sir? The expectations are, the, the, it's just different, right? Yeah. And, those are the trappings you fall into. Like, you know, I'm just going to try to hit easy little shots, you know, totally. The other great takeaway too, is I got into the trap of, there was a little bit of a burden of trying to figure out where I am and what I'm doing versus embracing the fun of hitting shots. I never hit anywhere else. Right. Right. So that, that example of like, I'm just going to run it up. Sometimes it's so funny. I just realized the shots that I had them, finally have commitment were shots that I decided to hit a shot I've never hit before. And I said, I don't even need to look at the yardage. This is so windy. I'm going to hit a four iron and I'm going to, I'm going to like basically pitch this hundred percent, put it back in your stance. Yeah. And just see Three what happens. Turn, boom. Well, and those it, ended up being some of my best shots. So that's a really great reminder. Right. It's just, and, and putting and chipping is so difficult. I mean, in those green reading was also really difficult. We didn't talk about that. I couldn't figure out the greens. 
it's just it, it's just tough because <laughs> how can I commit to wind factoring into my putt? That right. is so I give the the Scots so much but, credit. How do I factor in wind to, to green rating? It was so difficult. It's all these things like you're going back to the basics from this experience because what do they say? At the end of the day, speed's more important than line. Because there's going to be days, there's going to be rounds, there's going to be you're going to be in parts of the world where I just can't quite read it like I normally do. But I'm going to focus on speed and I'm going to get a lot of I'm going to have a lot of two putts. Yeah. But you get caught up in the <laughs> you get caught up why can't I figure this out by round 7, right? <laughs> right. I think you but it's just so it's just so different. So this is you know this is this is a great uh this is a great look back and breakdown and I think listeners are going to take a lot from this Ev, because you li- you've lived it out in Scotland, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you truly lived these conditions like it's it's a part of you, you know? Yeah. Well, I hope everybody uh, got a lot from this. This was fun for me to go back and do. And I think I've learned so much, mostly of what not to do, but sometimes that's the best way to learn. And um, I, I will say, I didn't let you guys down. I didn't let myself down because despite my human moments of feeling like, what the hell are you doing? Like we've... <laughs> You know, like you're in the middle of the fairway, you make a bonehead move, you don't know something's there, you try and muscle it when you don't need to, and you get in a spot, you make double or, or whatever. Um, <clears throat> I had so many of those. What the hell are you doing? But I will tell you, I also took it in and I appreciated it and I, I really was grateful and I saw the best golf in the world. And I really... It's it was Nobody, so special. What you've been able to do this past month is some of the coolest golf trips experiences that anybody will ever have, right? And we're going to need to get you with me. Next 100%. That was episode 275 to round out the month of October. And that also round out the recap. I want to thank everybody for giving this a listen. It's an absolute pleasure. Huge shout out to Evan and Matt for letting me do this. And we would very much appreciate if you would take a few minutes and give us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We certainly couldn't have a show like this without all of the listeners, and we appreciate you all so much. And another quick reminder to those who have not yet, if you want to learn more about the number one mental game podcast in the world, you can hop aboard the email list and get a weekly mental game nugget and insight and get early access to merchandise drops. I asked Evan about new hats just the other day, and I got shouldered, so something's in the works. He's not letting too much info out on it, but join the email list get early info get early access to those merch drops you can do that at thepartrain.com all right guys again i'm brett the partrain podcast editor i'll see you as we get deeper into the holiday season in december and until then enjoy the ride we'll see you